0: If you have a Bible or a smart device, I would encourage you to take it and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. So here at Redeemer, uh, we work through books of the Bible, and so today we are talking about the church and its leaders, not because we have a a church crisis or a leadership crisis or because someone made me mad this week and I want to kick them while they're down and make them obey me, but rather we're going to talk about—that was a joke, you're supposed to laugh— we talk about this because it's the next passage. But also we believe that the fact that it's the next passage, the fact that it's in the Bible tells us that God cares about what he's saying and God wants us to hear it and believe it. And so today I want you to join me in looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 and consider the church and its leaders. The church and its leaders. So here's the, here's the point today. The point is this. God has established a leadership structure in His church that is for all of our good. And it would be the will of the Lord that leaders would lead faithfully. The church would joyfully follow its leaders and we would all exercise humility to God and to one another. It would be the will of the Lord that the church's leaders would lead faithfully. The church would joyfully follow their leaders. And we would all exercise humility toward God and toward one another. So leadership is all the rage today. Popular discussion is all about how to be a better leader, how everyone should be a leader, how everyone should have a pipeline to become a leader. Leadership is everywhere and as much as maybe we're tired of hearing about leadership, I think what we need to wrestle with today is that leadership matters. How we relate to our leaders matter. And this passage is focusing particularly on the church's pastoral leadership and its interrelationships. This, church, this passage is focusing particularly on the church's pastoral leadership and its interrelationship with the church. Now here's what I know. Here's what keeps me awake at night. And here's what my concern. Our church is walking in a season of great blessing. Our, that doesn't concern me. That's the good part. Our church is walking in a season of great blessing. People are hearing the gospel and believing. If I can ever get the heater fixed, we're going to have baptisms week after week after week after week. We'll leave that tangent over there. Our church is growing. People are coming here to say, we want to experience the grace of God and the word of God and worship God with these people. Oh, by the way, did you know we got a building for free? Yeah, you're sitting in it. God's blessing. People are being enriched. People are serving. There's good all around us. And you might say, well, then, dude, why does that keep you awake at night? You're crazy. No, this is why that keeps me awake at night. Because I know that Satan would love to destroy all the good that's going on here. I know that Satan would love for us to lose our focus upon Jesus, upon his cross, upon his salvation, upon his blessing. I know that Satan would love for us to forget how good and great God is and give him the praise that's due to his name over and over and over again. And history tells me that there's two primary ways Satan does that. Strife and gossip among people. And strife between the church and its leaders. Right? The two primary ways that history tells us Satan attacks the local church is not first heresy. It's not first error. It's not first a Trinitarian controversy. It's not first the role of men and women, the, the way that Satan would love to attack Redeemer Church right now is to start a silly fight amongst us or to create a rift between the church and its leaders. And we all know that to be the case. Right? Every time you see a church that says Greater New Hope Baptist Church, you go, oh my gosh, they split three times. Right? Because you just know it's true. And if you grew up in Greater New Hope Baptist Church, I'm thankful for you. But you know it's true too. So I'm drawing you into a conversation this morning that's not abstract. This is where we are. This is what the Lord would long, not the Lord, this is where Satan would long to destroy what the Lord is doing here. So my prayer this morning is that we will all be filled with the humility that the gospel of Jesus calls us to that we would all pray for and encourage our pastoral leaders to be faithful in their pastoral leadership, and that we would all learn how to rightfully and joyfully follow the leadership that the Lord has placed in our church. So, for my note-taking friends, our first point is one command for all. So we're actually going to take this passage Start at the bottom and work your way up. The end of verse 5 says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If there's one word in that sentence that just makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, it, it's opposes, right? Like That's that's hefty language. God Poses the proud Whew. You know what? That's in the scripture three times, that exact quote, Proverbs 3:23:34, James 4:6, and here in First Peter chapter five, verse five. Now Peter's not trying to shame anyone. he's not trying to guilt anyone, but he's making a call to humility. He's making a call to humility toward God and humility toward one another. And he reminds us that the posture of a Christian is one who yields to the Lord, humbles himself or herself in the sight of the Lord, and receives grace. We come to God with empty hands. The scripture says all we bring to our salvation is the sin that needed to be forgiven. So we come to God with empty hands. As we sang earlier, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. The point of the scripture from Genesis to the end of Revelation is our salvation is an undeserved gift from a holy God to people who deserve nothing from him. Yes, yeah, somebody should say amen. But the good news is Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And with our empty hands, we can come to the Lord and receive forgiveness. We can come to the Lord and receive salvation. We can come to the Lord and receive new life. We can come to the Lord and receive everlasting life. We can come to the Lord and be accepted. We can come to the Lord and be his people. We can come to the Lord and receive mercy and grace and love and compassion, none of which we earn, but all of which Jesus purchased for us. So the posture of a Christian before God is a posture of emptiness and humility. The reason God opposes the proud is because the proud believe they have something to offer God. And the proud believe that God perhaps owes them something. And the proud believe that it's it's God's good blessing to have us on His earth. But the opposite of proud is humble. The opposite of proud is empty. The opposite of proud is my life is a gift from God. The breath that I breathe right now is a gift from God. The salvation that I believe has come to me through Jesus is a gift from God. And so, In this passage, in James chapter 4, in the Philippians 2 passage, which Emmy read for us uh, earlier, the Bible is making very clear that the posture of a Christian is humility. Not because humility earns God's favor, not because humility exalts us, but because humility is our appropriate place. I'm empty. Apart from the work of the Spirit in me, I am nothing. Apart from the work of the Spirit in me, I am sinful. Apart from the work of the Spirit in me, I can't accomplish anything that's of any value. But with the Spirit in me, by the power of God's grace, through Him working in me, I am a new creation and all things are new. Our posture is always humility. Excuse me, it ought to always be humility. I want to give an invitation right here. I know good preachers put the invitation at the end, but I'm going to do it right here. If you've never understood the gospel in this way before, I want to invite you to consider Jesus today. Today. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to give salvation. He stands ready to pour out blessing. So today, I would say consider Jesus and recognize that all those places where you poke your chest out and are overly proud of yourself and you think the world is blessed to have you is the very place that God would want you to humble yourself and come to him. Come to him. Come to him. I would love to talk to you later about what it looks like to come to him. Come to Jesus to find salvation. Look around. This room, somebody sitting beside you would love to pay for your lunch and talk to you about how you can know Christ. If you can't afford it, friends, I'll pay you back. Just make it happen, okay? Our treasure is right down here. There you go, okay. Now, but we who then say, I know I see some of the college students are like, can I fake not being a Christian to get a free lunch? That's between you and the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh. But we who would claim to belong to Christ, we would who would claim to have come to the end of ourselves, we who would claim to know the saving power of Jesus. Peter says your posture is always humility before God and humility before others is what God calls us to. So this humility before God is intended to flow out and affect how we relate to others. Okay, So, so get this. If I believe that everything I need, everything I could ever need now and forever has been purchased by Jesus and given to me, by Christ, then I don't have to work to earn anything in this I don't have to work to earn my status. I don't have to work to prove myself better. I don't have to work to exalt myself. I will trust that to the Lord. So, humility before God is intended to create humility before others. So look, that friend that you can't be reconciled to, what you need more than, than either of you realize is humility before God that translates into humility before one another. That marital strife that that just won't soften what both of you need is a humility before God that translates into a humility before one another. As I start to have teenagers in my home, that perpetual rub between you and your children, what both of you need is a humility before God that translates into humility before one another. And all the, all the empty nesters are like, amen, amen, yeah, okay. What the church needs is leaders and a church who have humility before God that translates into humility before one another. What your Sunday school class needs is the humility before God that translates into humility before one another. What your community group needs more than it needs a structural change is the humility before God that translates into humility before one another that longs for the best for one another. I don't think it's abstract, random, or reductionistic for Peter to end this talk about leadership to say, all of you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, if you like to make bumper stickers, you can make the God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble bumper sticker. But instead of putting it on your bumper, put it on your odometer, right? Like, put it right there for you. Don't put it on your mailbox, put it on your bathroom mirror above your toothbrush. Don't write it on the refrigerator's whiteboard for your wife to see, but rather, tuck it in your Bible. Make that the screensaver on your smartphone, all right? Okay, pastor, be helpful, be tangible. Humility comes from understanding how great God is, how sinful we are, and how much we need Him. So if you want to pursue humility, go read Philippians 2, 1-11, which Amy read for us earlier. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Pray upon it. And come back next week because verses 6 through 11 are about humility within the church. A few examples. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Resist the devil. Be firm in your faith. Endure suffering. Believe that God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you forever for His glory. There you go. Come back next week. But interrelationships within the church begin with a call to humility because humility is the posture of the Christian. Now, Peter is going to talk specifically in this passage about the interrelationship between the spiritual leaders of the church called elders in the Bible and the church Itself, and so our second point this morning: elders who shepherd faithfully. Now, I want you to notice something in the scripture. When the scripture addresses husbands and wives, the person who has the role of leadership, the husband, is called to be like Christ and steward. His leadership for the glory of God. Parents and children. The parent who is in the role of authority is called to steward his or her authority in such a way that it is like Christ and we're told don't exasperate your children. Use your authority well not as a way to get what you want when you want, right? That pattern continues into how Peter addresses the church. He starts with the elders, who in the Bible are the spiritual leaders, the shepherds of the local church. And what he's going to say is, do your work faithfully with a Christ-centered heart in a way that serves others and does not exalt yourself. Do your work faithfully in a Christ-centered way that serves others and does not exalt yourself. So Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, So what Peter is saying is he's addressing a group of people in the church known as elders. In the New Testament, there's two types of leaders within the local church. There's elders who give spiritual oversight and direction, and there are deacons who lead the church in tangible um, acts of service and ministry. Now, why... While elders and deacons don't show up in in the passage in Acts chapter 5 and 6, what you see is the beginning of this type of delineation within the church, where you have the apostles leading the church in teaching and in prayer and in ministry, and you have setting up a group of people who would lead the church in in tangible acts of ministry and service. And then we see this flesh out in the appointment of elders and deacons within the church. Now look, man, we as modern American Christians have just bungled this all up. I mean, some churches have deacons acting like elders and other churches have elders acting like deacons. And some churches say, we don't know what any of it means, so let's just make up our own names for them. And I'm not really trying to, to shoot darts at anyone, but let's just recognize that in the Scripture, there are two types, two leadership positions that every church is called to. Elders, spiritual shepherding, overseers, maintain the word, maintain the doctrine, make sure that people are being ministered to, receiving the gospel, being cared for, deacons, make sure that the real, practical, tangible needs of the church are being met. We don't downplay either one of those in the Scripture. They're both vital. They're both important. Turn off the lights. Turn off the AC. Put away the coffee and let everybody not have a place to park. And how many of you are going to hear the word today and be blessed? None of you. You're going home, right? All these things work together to serve the ministry of the church. But Peter says to the elders, one, shepherd the flock that is among you, to exercising oversight. So what Peter has done helpfully for us is he tells us what elders do. Elders shepherd the flock and elders exercise oversight. So shepherd the flock means to, like a shepherd tends to his sheep, make sure that the flock is cared, cared for The flock is fed. The flock is brought into green pastures. The flock has water. The flock is protected from its enemies. The flock is not torn in two. And that no one gets separated from the flock. Shepherd. It's an appropriate biblical model for what elders are to do. We need leaders of the church that want to shepherd. Care for, serve, speak God's word, minister the grace of God through the word of God, counsel in crisis, call to repentance and faith, pray for all the sheep of God. This is the work that God has given to the leaders within His church. But faithfulness also means... Exercising oversight. Meaning, work for the church to be led and structured and cared for in such a way that the ministry is carrying on. So the what of eldering is to shepherd and to exercise oversight. The who of eldering is the flock that is among you. The flock that is among you. So whom are the elders called to shepherd? Everybody know the sheep that God has brought to be a part of this flock. This is the rebuke for most modern pastors. That phrase, the flock that is among you. Because most modern pastors have a lust for their flock to be made up of other people. We need more people. We need different people. We need less angry people. We need wealthier people. We need people that tithe more. We need people that can build buildings. We need people that would love to be crossing guards, right? Like, but, but Peter is shutting down that lust, and he's saying, shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that God has given you. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The last thing your church needs is for you, pastor, elder, to become your people's accuser before God. But rather, your church needs you to bring them before God so that he can minister his grace to them. And I'll just tell you, pastors and leaders are guilty of pointing out everything that's wrong with the church and accusing the church before God, wishing they would be different. You're probably disappointed in me to hear that, aren't you? I'm a human. But Peter would say, love your flock in such a way that you will bring your flock before the Lord and care for them and shepherd them and pray for them and allow the Lord to be their shepherd. That's what pastors and elders are called to do. The what is shepherd and exercise oversight. The who is the flock that is among you. And the how is willingly, eagerly, Being an example and looking to Jesus. The how is willingly, eagerly, being an example and looking to Jesus. Let's take those in turn. How should elders shepherd the flock? One, willingly. Peter says, I exhort the flock, I exhort you to shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, Pastor, elder, shepherd, let it be the desire of your heart to love God's people and speak truth to God's people and care for God's people and if you have to be compelled to want that maybe you shouldn't be in that role if you have to be compelled to want that repent and ask the Savior to help you but serve wanting others to know the grace of God willingly second eagerly He says in verse 2, Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now I think what's primarily in Peter's mind is, don't shepherd or elder for money, but do it from calling. Do it from desire. And I chuckle at that. That was a little bit funny. No one's getting rich off this endeavor. 75% of our elders don't make a penny. But the point still remains don't elder or lead for shameful gain. Don't lead for a title. Don't lead for human pride. Don't lead for position. Don't lead for a place at the table, but do it eagerly because God is calling you to do it. People want to follow that. People want to be led like that. Third, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter says, elders, don't lead from a place of domineering, getting your way how you want it, when you want it. The church is not your McDonald's. Your way right away. Or Burger King? How about that? The church is not your Burger King. Ah, everybody laughs now. Yeah, okay. See what happens when you say something that's not your notes? You just bungle it, man. I'm just going to read my notes now. If there's no more eye contact, it's because I'm not going to make that mistake again today. Pastors, preach what's in your notes. Don't make, okay, sorry. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those of your charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you see what Peter's saying? He's saying, pastor, elder, shepherd, lead in such a way. Love Jesus in such a way. Serve in such a way that somebody could look at you and say, I want my little boy to grow up to be like him. I want my little boy to grow up and walk with Jesus the way he walks with Jesus. I want my little boy to grow up and pray the way he prays. I want my little boy to grow up and be filled with faith and hardship the way he's filled with faith and hardship. I want my little boy to grow up and share the gospel the way he shares the gospel. I want my little boy, and you can want that for little girls too, but you shouldn't really want your little girls to be me. So anyway, we're just going with boys. So, but the point is, he says elder in such a way that you're an example to others. And here in America, we've created this ethic where if we think anything's commendable in us, we're arrogant and we're prideful. Don't be arrogant, don't be prideful. But I would seriously say, be the type of person, all of you, who has a commendable faith where someone could say, be like him or be like her. And Peter says that's the posture from which elders should lead. Willingly, eagerly, being examples and forth, looking to Jesus. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Look, Peter's not saying that church leaders, elders get some type of special place in heaven. He is most certainly not saying that leaders and elders get some special status within the church. He is certainly not saying that the next time we have a fellowship meal, we need to have an elder's table. He is certainly not saying that we need to venerate humans. What he's saying is the rewards for leading the church of Jesus well don't come in this life. They come when Jesus returns and makes all things right. And if in anything, your leaders are going to be an example to you, it's in that. We look to Jesus as our Savior, our Lord, our Justifier, our Vindicator, and the one who lifts our head. And so if we try to lead in such a way that we will be exalted now, we've missed the point of the gospel. And if we try to lead in such a way that we receive the blessing now, we've missed the point of the gospel. The blessing comes when Jesus brings Everything home forever. And that's true for all of us. That's the primary way in which God would call elders to be faithful. Elders are faithful when they shepherd the flock and exercise authority, excuse me, exercise oversight in such such a way that they're doing it willingly, eagerly, as examples who look to Jesus. So church, right now we're in a process of selecting new elders. I am not making this service about that. But, but we all are thinking it. We're in the process. Within the next 45 days, we will be presenting some candidates to you to serve as elder here at Redeemer. What should they be held to? Can they shepherd the flock, exercise oversight, willingly, eagerly, as an example who looks to Jesus for his reward? That's the question. That's the question. Now, I hope this doesn't sound selfish. And if it does, I guess I'll pre-repent, which I don't really think is a thing, but I'll do it anyway. Um, I would covet that you would pray for the elders of Redeemer earnestly looking at these first five verses. For those of you who may not know, I serve as an elder here at Redeemer. The other elders are Stephen Carlson, Uh, who is at home recovering from a a surgery on uh, Friday evening. Bill Seaver, who's right here on the front row. And Ken Henley, who's halfway back there. Ken, like throw a hand up or something. There we go. Thank you, Bill. Look, pray for these men. Encourage these men. Help these men be faithful. Second, do not allow us to ever be put on a pedestal. Encourage us. Help us. Go with us. But we're not perfect. We're not without error. We do make mistakes. It's possible that we've hurt some of you. It's possible that our leadership has failed you on many fronts. We know it. We're aware of it. And we want to serve. And we want to glorify God. And so we ask for your help. And so that leads to the final point. A church who follows joyfully. A church who follows joyfully. And I promise, friends, I'm not trying to get anything out of this sermon. There is no tangible crisis at Redeemer that I'm trying to solve with this sermon. It's just in the text. But listen carefully. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, you may ask, you may go like, Hey man, I am 82, so he is not talking to me. I'm not younger. He can't be talking to me. I think Peter's talking to everybody, particularly when you look at the next word, all of you. But particularly, he's talking to those who are younger. And he says, follow the leadership of your elders. So I think young here means young. And I think young people are being singled out for Peter in this admonition. And I think that Peter's singling out young people because there's a justifiable reason to single out young people. Everyone hates being told what to do, but young people particularly hate being told what to do. Right? Yeah. That's right, I got an amen over here. And older people hate being told what to do too. There you go, all right? Nobody loves everything that's going on and no one likes to be told what to do. And that is why we revolt against leadership. So hear this clearly. Leadership in the church, Elders and deacons is not Redeemer's idea. It's in the Bible because it's God's idea. It's not some cool strategy that we have to get things the way they need to be. We're doing everything we can to be as faithful to the New Testament as we possibly can. And if leadership is God's idea, then following the leadership of leaders would be God's idea as well. Now, leaders are fallible, and if they're unbiblical, you should point that out. Leaders are fallible if they're sinful in their manner, you should point that out. Leaders are fallible if they make mistakes, you should come and talk to them about the mistakes. But in general, God is saying through the Holy Spirit, through Peter, that it would be the disposition of a Christian's heart to follow the leadership of the leaders that God has placed in his church. And I think if we all bring that heart to the table, which in, in most every way I see in this congregation, if we all bring that heart to the table, we will bear much fruit. Now let's do language for a minute. Peter says, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Oh, okay, pastor, but what does subject mean? I have some examples for you from Peter, from this very book. So linguistically, this is as close as you can possibly get. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. All Christians be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by God to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. 1 Peter 2:18 Servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and the gentle but also to the unjust. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 Likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. So Peter is, is is exhorting the church to receive the leadership of its elders as a blessing, and to follow it joyfully as much as the word of God would allow. And that's a disposition that I think God is calling all of us to. Look, I'm the pastor of Redeemer. Humanly speaking, I started this church seven years ago. And we go into elders' meetings and we sit around the table and often I lose. I lose. What I think is best is not what the collective wisdom of those around the table think is best. So you know what I do in that moment? Jamie, be subject to the elders. And we go forward. And we love and we serve And we bear fruit. And I'm just saying that trickles down to all of us. For the glory of God. And when we mess up, we'll talk about it. When we make mistakes, we'll talk about it. When we sin, we'll repent. If we don't, you should confront us. You should call us out on it. But in everything, God is saying, church, leaders be faithful. Church, joyfully follow faithful leaders. And where your heart revolts against leadership, I think, there's some humility being called for. So how can I help you joyfully follow leadership? Number one, ask this question. Is this a biblical issue? Is this a biblical issue? Is what our elders leading our church to do, are they being faithful to the Bible? If no, stop. Stop. Two, is this a wisdom issue? The difference between a biblical issue and a wisdom issue is a biblical issue is black and white. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you say there's more than one way to God than through Jesus, that's a biblical issue, okay? How much money should we spend renovating this building? That's not a biblical issue. There is no verse that says, stop at $42,000, $344.27. We're nowhere near that, I don't think. But listen, there's no verse there. But it's a wisdom issue. Given the number of people we have, the place that we are, the money that we have, the money that's coming in, and what needs to be done, we have to figure out how much we're willing to spend on this particular building. That's a wisdom issue, okay? So is it a biblical issue? Yes or no. Is it a wisdom issue? If I disagree with the wisdom issue, here's the third question. Is there maybe something going on that I'm not aware of? Is it possible that I don't have all the information? I know I'm over time, and I'm just going to go with it because this is important, okay? I'm not a huge World War II buff, but those of us who have scratched the surface of the life of Winston Churchill, you know that one of the heavy things in his life was carrying all this information that no one else knew, right? So so before the war was over, the Allies had cracked the Germans' secret code. And so the Allies knew things the Germans were going to do before the Germans did it. But if they acted on it, then the Germans would know that they had to code. So there were often bombings that happened that Churchill knew was going to happen, but he had to sit on it. So he's sitting in his room knowing that people are going to die that evening. Okay, This is a historical fact. So you would have chosen otherwise if your house got blown up. But there were things going on that only Churchill knew, that only the leaders knew, that they couldn't share with everybody. Does that make sense? So when it comes to these wisdom issues, and when we might have chosen otherwise, just understand that there are so many things going on that can't be talked about publicly. Your elders are carrying the weight of whose marriage is about to fall apart. They're carrying the weight of whose addiction to pornography is about to train wreck their life. They're carrying the weight of who hates their community group leader. They're carrying the weight of who wishes their Sunday school teacher were somebody else. They're carrying the weight of... of logistical decisions that have caused pain. And they're not asking for sympathy, but I'm just saying we all need to enter into these wisdom moments and say, is there something going on that I'm not privy to that knowledge that might affect this decision? And then we pray for God to guide us and give us wisdom and help us move forward. Friends, I love you. Your elders love you. Our church has great unity and we want to fight for it. And we believe the Bible would teach that Satan would love to tear us apart over the interplay between leaders and the church. And this passage says, elders shepherd faithfully, church follow joyfully. All of you be filled with humility because Jesus saves humble people, not who earn his salvation, but come to him empty handed.